rest of us, we have a, a, a special treat this morning. We have one of our, our good friends of our congregation, uh, John Crosby, who is the uh, RUF campus minister at the University of Memphis. And uh, for those of you who aren't familiar, RUF is a uh, campus ministry, but it is kind of a, a, it's a concerted effort by our denomination, and probably one of the best things we do is is put pastors on campuses all throughout the country uh, to bring the message of Christ, but also the, the presence of Christ in, in the love and community and, and worship of those groups. And so John is, is one of our local ministers here who we love, as, as well as his wife Trina and, and his three boys. Uh, but I'd like for John to come up and, and share with us this morning. You can clap too. It's acceptable. <laughs> Thanks, man. No, yeah. I get a yeah there. I need my water bottle. Oh, I was going to use it. It's good. It's good to be with you guys. Um, I do want to just say thank you for your support um, of RUF at Memphis. Uh, y'all do support us, if you don't, if you don't know. Um, and there are many in, in the congregation that support us individually. And thank you. This has, like, been one of our greatest some years, really. Um, this is my third year doing it. Um, and it's been like a lot of fun to see the diversity uh, that we're starting to see, that we're starting to look like the campus. And, and students are actually um, doing leadership stuff and caring for their peers, which is a lot of fun. And uh, so thank you for your prayers and your support, REF. If you want to like hang out with me, take me to coffee or lunch or golf and want to know more about RUF, um, this is, I'm, I'm really sincere about that. Uh, I would love for you to do that, um, and uh, but we are. Uh, but no, seriously, I would love to sit down with you and talk about RUF and um, and love to always get new partners. We're needing new partners all the time to help support that ministry. So please, like, reach out to me. I, I would love to to actually pay for your coffee, um, and you can take me to play golf. So whatever. So we're gonna be uh, we're gonna be looking at Philippians chapter three. 1 through 11, again, like, one of the cool things as you know, I get to, like, pick whatever passage I want to do when you show, when you drop into a place. And this is, this is a really um, a, a passage I feel like I talk to a lot of students about who deal with, like, uh, trying to find their righteousness in the right places. And uh, so we're going to be in Philippians 3. Let me read that, and then we'll pray and jump in. Philippians 3, 1 through 11. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by God, by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for such confidence, if anyone thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness 
of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so that somehow to attain to the the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray together. Father, indeed, we come before your throne, and you have provided for us a strong and perfect plea in Jesus. Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for his righteousness. We thank you for the resurrection, the reality of the gospel. Father, help us to believe it. Help us to really believe it this morning, that you really do care for us. You care for us in our loneliness. You care for us in the struggle of this life. It's hard being a parent. It's hard being a friend. This world is broken, but you care for us. Father, help us to believe it. Father, we thank you for Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. I really don't feel really, uh, every time I come here, like, I never feel cool enough. Like, can I, I just admit, I just want to admit that. Can I admit that? Like, Midtown is like, a, I, I drive into Midtown, I feel like, man, I'm chubby. Like, all you guys are, like, healthy down here. And then I feel like, man, I, I'm coming in with an illustration of an old movie where I feel like I wish I could have used Avatar or something. And I, you know, I don't know, like, something like green. Um, but he, so... I'm feeling a lot of shame right now. Um, but a great movie, a classic movie, one that I grew up thinking like if I saw that movie, um, as like my youth minister was like so fired up for this movie that I felt like if I saw that movie, I could probably join the church and be, you know, admitted to the table, um, Chariots of Fire. Um, and kids like, if you haven't seen that movie, or people, if you're all, if you're all looking at me like, I don't even know what that movie is. Like, spoiler alert, like, the chariots don't catch on fire. Um, my son, Max, was like, do the chariots catch on fire? No, I don't want to. And he was like, I don't want to watch it. So, um, but it's a great movie. It's an old movie. It's this movie that tells the story of two men. Um, and, it, and it chronicles their life, like, after they had, had finished school, um, and they are runners, um, they're runners, and they're training for the Olympics. One of these guys is Eric Little, and the other is Harold Abrams. Um, Harold Abrams has lived most of his life on the outside because he was a Jew in England. Uh, and, and so there's this poignant moment right before he's about to run this race for the gold medal where he's reflecting on his life and what this means. And he, and he says this. He says, when, I, when the gun goes off, I have 10 seconds to justify my existence. You hear that? Like He's saying, when the gun goes off, I have 10 seconds to justify my existence. What is he saying? Like He's saying what you and I want to say, right? That 
I want my life to matter. Like, I want my life to matter. I want people to want to know me, to love me, to accept me. And he's saying, like, if I win this race, then my life will be worthy of that love and acceptance and even remembered. His life will matter. And if he would, he were to put all that into Paul's words, what he is hoping to find was righteousness. He was hoping to find the standing whereby we might be completely, securely, forever accepted and valued, even by God. And this morning, that is what I want to talk about. And I want to try to do it outlined with three questions. And the questions would be, what is righteousness? Why do we need it? And then how do we get it? So let's get started and talk about this first point. What is righteousness? Paul uses this term uh, and this word in verses 9 and verse 10, but he's talking about this word throughout the whole passage. Verse 9 he says, To be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that is which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God is by faith. And he's using this word righteousness here. If I, if I was to, like, like make, to give you a simple definition of righteousness, it would be this. It is basically a status that actually gets you in. It's the status that actually gets you in. Harold Abrams is saying, like, if I win this gold medal, I will be in. I will be forever in. You know, we know what this is like, right? Like we, most of us have, have had to put together resumes or, or we've been there, done that, or we're working on resumes and we know like if, if our resume is good enough, right, we'll get into like a particular school or job or club or whatever. And so we know what it's like to put together something that, that actually might get us in. And we know like we all have like different degrees of confidence in which that resume will get us in, right? And Paul says something similar in this passage. Look at verse 3. In verse 4 he says, if, for, we, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh, though myself have reason for such confidence. And this idea of righteousness is like intimately tied to like our, our confidence, the confidence through which like you approach like your day-to-day life uh, it, it, it is grounded in where you think you receive your righteousness. Like how well you think you're in um, actually gives you confidence. Now if our working assumption is like um, that the rest of, of life is this way, then, then, then our righteousness before God, we think, has to come in the same way. That, that if we want to be accepted by an employer or school or whatever, we put, together, we put together a resume that's convincing. And so we think, like, to be accepted by God, we have to, put, we have to prove ourselves acceptable to him. So we have to put together some sort of resume. And so what we find next in this passage is Paul's, like, old spiritual resume where he talks about the things that used to give him great confidence and he and he put his trust in these things to make him feel like 
he was in this good standing before God. Like it got him in. And he breaks them down into two categories. Who he is and what he has done. Look at verse 5 and following. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And he's about to tell you, like, I'm a pretty awesome dude. Like, he's about to break it down for you and say, look, I'm about, I'm about, I'm going to show you I'm crushing this life. He says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Paul is saying, look, I was actually, I was born in. He was saying, I was born into the people of God. I've been raised by this faithful family all my life. He's saying, look, I have the pedigree of actually someone who is in. And that used to give me great confidence. All that used to give me great confidence, he's saying. If that's not enough, look what he goes on to say. He says, as regard to the law, he says a Pharisee. Pharisees generally get like a bad rap, right? They get a bad rap. Um, but for centuries, like Pharisees were the most honored and revered people in their day. Like, like historians would tell you like the Jewish culture was preserved by these folks. These were the heroes of the day. And he is saying, look, I've actually joined this group. I'm a part of this group. And he was very zealous, although a little misdirected, right, in persecuting the church. Paul didn't live by this, like, live and let live policy toward this growing movement of the, of the followers of Jesus. Like, he's, he was set out in his zeal to actually destroy the church. You read about that in Galatians 1.13. Like, he had imprisoned men and women in Acts 22, he tried to get them to blaspheme against God in Acts um, as well. And then in Acts 26, 11, he describes his efforts to destroy the Christian church as an, a, as an obsession. Like he was obsessed with it. Why was he so obsessed? Because he thought God would be pleased with his zeal. He was zealous. And then look at what it says in verse 6 again. He, it says, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless, blameless, um, as the uh, ESV translates it as well. Like, he is saying, like, if you think you take God's word seriously, like, if you think you take God's word seriously, like, he's saying, like, I there's no one else that takes God's, more, God's word more seriously than he does. Look, he's not saying like he's not saying that he's sinless. He's not saying he's sinless, but he dealt with his sin as the way that the law required. Offering sacrifices. Like he was a teacher of the law and zealously guarded it against like trespasses. In other words, Paul is saying like he was very satisfied with his law keeping. And he's basically saying, like, I'm a I'm a great person. Like, I'm a really good person. I had a lot of reason to boast in my flesh because I, I was crushing this life. And Paul is saying, this was my confidence. Like, that was my confidence. That is what I thought would actually get me in. And let me ask you this question this morning. Like, if that is what righteousness is, then the real personal question is this. Like, what does righteousness tend to be for you? 
Like, what does righteousness tend to be for you? What do you tend to, like, look to or to trust in to make you feel confident, to make you feel secure? What is that thing? When, when that sense of who you are is threatened, um, what do you remind yourself of that makes you feel like life is worth it? Like, what is that for you? Maybe, maybe, maybe you're like a mama's boy like me, and when that sense of who you are is threatened, like you, you pick up the phone and you call your mom. You know, I do that. Um, my wife hates that, but I do it. Mom, hey, you know, life's hard. Because it's her reassuring voice, and she's like my biggest fan. Because that what settles my fears sometimes. You know, maybe it's your own sense of independence. Like when, when, that, when you feel that sense of who you are is threatened, you remind yourself that you don't need anybody. Maybe you think of, your, of, of the past and how, well, how, well, how difficult it's been uh, for you to walk the straight and narrow. That you're involved in a great church and the Christian communities and all these things and how it's worth it. And that, that sense of thinking back upon your own obedience and your own faithfulness, and that is what grounds you and that is what gives you confidence. Look, it's actually important to identify the things that you run to when your sense of who you are is actually threatened. Not just if you're not a Christian, but also, uh, or, or even if you're thinking about becoming a Christian, like, the Christian life, even for Paul, was one of like continually always reminding himself and turning away from those things that do not compare to the righteousness that we find in Jesus. And that's why it's important for us to identify those things that we run to that make us feel good. What makes you feel like you're in? Which brings me to the second point, question why do we need this righteousness? Like, why do you need it? Why do we need this status that gets us in? The Bible tells us this, that you and I were created in, in this perfect relationship with God. Our, our lives were centered around God, and because our lives were perfectly centered around God, we, we had this right status before him. We were in with him. And because we were actually in with him, we were actually in with ourselves. And with others. And we're actually in, um, and, and, and actually before sin entered the world, it would actually have been unthinkable for you to look in the mirror and hate what you see in the mirror. But we have lost that. Because of our sin, because we have turned away from God, now we live with this, like, this constant nagging sense of not, that maybe I'm not in and sometimes we, we're able to like to mute those voices that tell us that we're not in. And other times those voices scream at us, telling us that we're not in. So we turn to those things, whatever it is, to make us feel like we're in. It could be your parents. It could be your independence. It could be your job. It could be the stuff you have. It could be your children. I'm so surprised, like, I, I watched my kid play baseball, 
and like how tied up my like confidence and righteousness is in whether or not my kid hits the ball or not. Sick. I'm like sick. Pray for me. But when he hits it, like how how I'm like, check it out. I'm I'm his dad. Yeah, yeah, I am that guy. That's why my wife doesn't sit near me in the stands. But it could be your children. It really could. It could be re- it could be relationships. It could be how smart you are. Um, when you hear the voices that scream at you that you're not in, we turn to those things that make us feel like we're in. And Paul's saying that there's so much more at stake than how you feel. Like there's so much more at stake than how you feel. Like our feelings actually, they, they can lead us sometimes to our greatest needs, but they don't always do that. For instance, I remember my senior year in high school, the night I was actually packing for my senior trip, we were going to go to Washington, and like I still do, procrastinate to the last minute, decide to pack like at 12 o'clock at night. My mom's already asleep, and I'm like, I don't know why. I asked myself this, and I just had a hankering for some cocoa. So I went downstairs, put on, my mom had these two teapots and did not know that one was like her favorite, but put, put, put some water in it and it was this copper teapot, put it on the stove, went back upstairs, packed, fell asleep. Then all of a sudden, like some, you know, you know, when you kind of like, you just kind of wake up and you're like, you start and you smell something. Like I smelled burning and I went downstairs and I remember it was like yesterday, turning the corner and seeing this pot was like this lava ball. It was like it was like the Shekinah glory on the stove. It was like, oh, and, and I was like, immediately I felt like things are not going to be right with my mother and me in the morning. I remember like taking like taking something like a like a towel and and grabbing the handle and it just oozed like it just it was just it was just like lava. It just the the kettle, little tea spout. Like, it was just all messed up. It finally cooled down, and it was black. And I remember, like, just all night sweating and trying to scrub the soot off of this teapot. I had this nagging sense that things weren't going to be right with my mom in the morning. And I spent all night sweating and trying to figure out, like, how can I fit to put this back together and make it look right so I could get out of the house. And actually, when I got in my car... My mom opened the door. She was holding that teapot. I was like, see ya. We still don't talk about it. But I was hoping it wouldn't go unnoticed because sometimes we really feel like that, right? We really feel like that way that, uh, like, that all our efforts, like all our efforts, especially our, our religious efforts, we're trying somehow to make up for, for all that we have done wrong. We're trying to make up for the way in which we failed God, and sometimes we get this, this sense that, man, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm ever going to do nearly enough for what I've done. And now, whether or not you feel that way or not, like, let me be clear. The Bible says that there is, like, this obstacle between you and God that you cannot repair yourself. Like, you can't repair it yourself. And so that's why Paul, Paul is saying, like, Look, there is so much more at stake here than how you feel. Look back in verse 3 when he says, 
For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God who glory in Christ Jesus. Look, Paul is saying, like, this is actually the only way to be in. This is it. To be in with God. Like, this is it. If you want God in your life, if you want those things, I don't even call it those things in verse 10 and 11. Like, if you want those things, the power of his resurrection so that you might endure great suffering and attain the resurrection of the dead, if you want those things, this is the only way you can have it. There's so much more at stake than just how you feel about being in. So finally, this last question, how, how do we get it? Like, how do, you, how do we get this righteousness that makes us acceptable? That gets us in with God. Usually we think about it in terms of building like a resume. But that is what Paul calls in this passage confidence in the flesh, which actually equals bad. <laughs> okay? Um, he talks about another righteousness that comes from God by faith. Look at verse 7 and 8. He says, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things and consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ. Like, like this is very important. Like, if you've never been offended by the gospel, like, this should actually kind of offend you a little bit. Like, you should be offended by this. Like, because what Paul is saying is that there have been actually really good things um, that have been in your life. You've had these good things. You come from a good family, a good church. You have good values. You have all these things. But all these things, he discovered something about them. That when he looked to those things to get him in, they were actually not gain. They were actually loss. They were the things that actually separated him from God. But more than, more than that, he said, in order to gain Christ, in order to get Christ, he had to learn to count those things as rubbish. To tell myself that those things that I used to love about myself, those, gr those greatest things about my life, they're rubbish. There's some debate about that word rubbish. Um, when rub but that word rubbish really is more like excrement. Um, it, in the King James, like that's why it translates that word as dung. Um, you know, it's a metaphor, right? It's a powerful metaphor. And what he's saying is that things that have mattered most to you, you must tell yourself that they are dung. They're poop. Could I, I can say that in Midtown, right? They're poop. Like, they're dumb. Like, that's what he's saying. In order to gain Christ, you must tell yourself that these things are rubbish. Like being nice, being a nice person, as great as that is, look, it's rubbish. Being smart doesn't count for anything. Being a member of the greatest church. Look, all the years and years of doing like what is right, 
doesn't count for anything but rubbish compared to their surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. How can it be? Like, how can this be? How? Well, look, when we trust in Christ, when we put when we put all our hope in Him, when we put our faith in Him, we receive what Paul says is righteousness from Christ, our righteousness from God. Look at what he says. He says, "For those sake, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him." Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that is what that, but that, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God is by faith. Paul is saying, look, he's saying that it's Jesus alone. It's Jesus apart from, in spite of anything else you actually think you bring to the table. Like he is the only one that gets you in. Your kid hitting a double doesn't get you in. And he gets you forever in. He gets you unshakably in. And he gets you freely in. And you're only in because of Jesus. Look, we weren't getting in. Like you and I, we weren't getting in. He got us in. And what Paul is saying is that there's there's no one else who gets you in but Jesus. And the only way he gets you in is if you put your faith in him. With Jesus, we're not born in. Like, you weren't born in. Remember, he had to earn our way in. When Jesus began his public ministry, it begins with God speaking from heaven, saying, this is my son, whom I love, listen to him. Then you read through the Gospels and, and you see why God loved him so much. He did everything right. He did everything right. He never failed his heavenly father, which makes his cry from the cross like uncomprehensible on the surface where he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He had done everything right. Look, Christianity is this. He was forsaken for yours, for my failures. For, your, for our sins and our failures, he was forsaken so that, so that we might receive a status of a beloved son and daughter who had never failed his heavenly father. Christ actually, he imputes his righteousness. He gives you his righteousness. That's yours. Freely, unshakably, forever. Do you see how Paul like belabors this idea of faith in this passage? Be, he says, being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that is which, but that is which through faith faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God is by faith. It's by faith. Not anything of your own doing. Why is he saying this? He's saying that there's nothing in you that earns it 
like this is this is something I have to like I feel like I have to preach to myself every morning. Like, don't let the robe fool you. Like, like I need this every morning. Like, this is what he's saying. That there's nothing in you that earns it. There's nothing in you that actually jeopardizes it. Do you know that? Not even the strength of your faith secures it for you. It's totally the object of your faith. It's Jesus. Jesus secures it for you. Like, this is going to be hard. It's, this is really hard. It's going to be hard for us to stop trusting in those things that we love most about ourselves that make us feel like we're in. It just is. It's going to be hard. They've made you feel good about yourself for a very long time. It'll be difficult for you to stop trusting in them and to count those things as loss. It'll also be difficult because the people that matter maybe most of you, are going to be disappointed if you start doing that. They're not going to understand, and some of them may even reject you. And you'll be on the outside. And Paul says, you will lose some of these things. Think about all that Paul lost. Like, he lost tons of things, but what he found is this, he found this new in in Christ. And that brings about this new freedom. It brings this new freedom that gives this greater confidence and a new joy that cannot be touched by your circumstances. It cannot be touched by your own failures. It's absolutely free. It's good news, isn't it? Look, I started telling you about Harold Abrams uh, from the movie Chariots of Fire. And the chariots don't burn. Uh, but let me close by telling you about the other guy, Eric Little, who had also been training for the Olympics. Um, he is a Christian from a missionary family, and his sister gets really concerned uh, that all his attention that he's getting and being placed on this like race and, um, and all his countrymen are all like fired up for him. And she is concerned that it's all going to his head and he will, it will take away from him serving as a missionary in China. And this is what he says to her. He says, the famous line, God made me for China, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Now he gets it, right? Like he, he gets it. Like, he gets because he wants to be a missionary, but he knows that being a missionary doesn't make God love him anymore. It doesn't make God love him anymore. It doesn't get him in at all. Like, he is in, in Christ, period. And because he's there, he finds this joy in his running apart from anything he'll ever achieve by it. Do you hear that? When I run, I feel his pleasure. He found the joy that doesn't depend on what he can achieve, and it's his by faith. Is that true of you this morning? Have you found that joy? It, it actually can. It actually can be yours. Puritan David Dickinson on his deathbed said, I have I've taken my good deeds and I've taken my bad deeds 
and I've thrown them both in a heap and I've fled from them to Jesus. And he said this, he said, I fled from them both to Christ and in him I have peace. Righteousness is simply this. It's a status that gets you in. Jesus alone, Jesus apart from, in spite of anything else you think you bring, is the only one that actually can get you in. And he gets you forever in, unshakably in, freely in. And you're only in because of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we do... We do thank you for the righteousness that is ours only because of Christ's perfect life and his death on a cross and his resurrection from the dead. Father, we need you to convince us of that reality this morning, that you are enough, enough to give us the status of being truly in, in Christ. Father, we thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.